The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome back to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I'm Eric Deutsch. And I'm Molly Balin. And joining us this week in Manhattan prison from Hocus Pocus Minute, Kathleen Mocklin. Welcome. hey <laughs> How's everybody doing? <laughs> Girl, you got the right medicine for today. I'm just oh. hella appreciative. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, you've got, you've got you've got a really you're you're bringing us off, yeah, and like a nice happy mood here as as the movie takes us slowly this week actually into the prison. Uh, po- good positive sunny outlook as we go into the horrible life of Manhattan prison. Yes. Well, you introduced me that I was, you know, reporting from the prison on Manhattan Island. And I got to say the service here is just terrible. All right. <laughs> and I am not digging the the bedsheet situation at all. And there's like no bathroom. Hey, so. be happy you have bedsheets in Manhattan prison. Okay. Ugh, all right. All right. You know, think positively. Right. Okay, Eric. Fine. Whatever. <laughs> I'm actually glad you're reading up bathrooms because I had this really random thought and I know I'm like digging right up in here, but this is like the Gulf fire week. Like, woo, we're in the Gulf fire glider time. How do you go to the, what if that, what happens if you have to go to the bathroom? Well, you like, don't, it's, it's, it's uh you know, it's a thing for quick in and out stealth missions. This isn't for a cross-country flight. But you're still in there for a while. I mean, they have to get up in the air. It's probably, you know, it's probably not like five minutes, you know? Sure it is. They're taking off from Liberty Island. Liberty Island is is like a, a quarter of a mile from the southern tip of Manhattan. I know, but that's not what his, his little clock reflects, though. It seems like there's like a 40-minute difference. Well, see, now you're making me think of the movie The Right Stuff when um, Scott Glenn as Alan Shepard is crammed into his capsule for so long that he can't take it anymore, and they give him permission to pee in his astronaut suit in the mm, rock. Yes. So there you go. Well, I mean, that was kind of like, you know, I mean, even with, with this particular minute, you know, like, do they let him go to the bathroom before he gets in the glider? Of course. Listen, look, as we record this, we're only a couple of weeks removed from Avengers Endgame coming out, right? So, <laughs> what has been the talk all over the internet for weeks, right? Don't drink anything for several hours before you start to watch the three-hour and one-minute-long Avengers Endgame, right? So, if you're getting in the Gulf Fire and you're going on a mission, just don't drink something for a few hours. I, I fasted for days before I started <laughs> All right? That's what I You fast or you wear a diaper, and Snake's going to do the same thing. So, but you know he's not going to ask permission to go to the bathroom. Snake is just going to go to the bathroom. Oh yeah, you know what, what Snake is going to do within the certain limitations of the injectables that are in him. I don't know. So, yes, and also, um, I know I mentioned this before, and there I go repeating myself because I'm an old lady. So, um, the theme for the next few minutes, I just immediately saw this minute, and I was like. This is cheesy and everyone's going to do an eye roll. So feel free to make a groaning noise after this. Like 
I just thought, oh, the theme is snake on a plane. Hey! <laughs> Huzzah! Uh... <laughs> a really long, boring meeting. I found that hilarious because it like just came to me, and I thought it was the funniest thing since I don't know when. So. Have you actually seen that movie? I haven't seen it. Have you ever I seen have. The Plane? I, I have. It was, it. No, it was great haven't. for the time. Would I watch it again? I don't know. <laughs> it was great. How, how, what made it great for the time? I'm curious. I was young. I probably went drinking beforehand. I was with friends. Samuel Jackson just like really cussing and being angry about MFing snakes on a plane like is just solid gold to me. Or it was when I when it came out, however long ago that was, it feels like it was over a decade ago. Um, was, yeah. 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 Thanks, Molly. Thank you for. <clears throat> oh, whatever. We're all in our forties here. Come Kathleen, on now. <laughs> you're the youngest person in this episode. Give me a break. Okay. I'm the oldest. I'm the oldest. Give me a break. Well, don't I feel special? I feel so there special. You you're a young, okay. tender thing. <laughs> oh, there we go. Well, uh, <laughs> no Anyway, but anyway. I just, I thought that was funny. But um, snakes on a plane. It's it it was it was funny ten years ago. I don't know. I know that joke I made is not that great, but it did make me. It, it tickled me pink today during a really boring meeting. So <laughs> thought I had to share. Anyway, but yeah, no bathrooms on the plane. No. Uh, so no. He either and, and, had and, and to go is, beforehand, uh, or he's wearing a diaper. And this <laughs> is not snakes on a plane minute. It is escape from New York minute, and we're it in. Is. 25, which starts out with, uh, we're, you know, just in case anyone forgot, um, <laughs> starts out with Snake telling Hauk, when I get back, I'm going to kill you. And it ends with Snake turning on some digital readouts in the Gulf Fire plane. I am wondering here, for first time viewers, since I can't remember the first time I saw it because I was so young when I saw it in my, my life, I've always been watching this movie. Do people think the first time they're watching this movie, when Snake says, when I get back, I'm going to kill you, that he really is going to kill or try to kill Hauk the first time you watch a movie at the end of the movie. The last time I watched this, I was very young, and I barely remember the plot. So I really thought he was going to kill him. I thought, like, oh, he's going to say that, and it's going to happen at the end. That's what I thought. Now, I don't know about our listeners out there, so if you're a youngin and you haven't seen this before. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I thought, you know, what is that foreshadowing? Is that that right. thing? Yep. That's what that thing is called? Yeah. <laughs> All the, the people who know the English and the writing and stuff out there, yeah, that's what that thing's called, foreshadowing. I agree. That was my thought, too, was that that was going to be the case, that he was going to come back through. We'd be like, yay, you killed Hauk. Feels <laughs> just. So I think would that have, uh, I know we're jumping ahead kind of to the end of the movie here, uh, but just since we're in the, the moment here, since Snake is someone that we've been talking about a lot, he's someone you root for, the anti-hero, even though he robbed the bank, he's, he's still someone that we're all pulling for, we all like him. That would have really, even though Hauk is a jerk, that would have really changed the view on Snake at the end of the movie, if that were to have occurred. I mean, I still would have thought he was hot. You know. <laughs> oh, here we go. As long as he's good looking, then uh, it's okay. Hey, it is, it is, you know, escapism. It's a movie. It's not real life. Like, just let me have this, Eric. Like, please. <laughs> so, so, do we, 
Oh, can we talk about the over-the-knee boots for a second? Because yeah, I sure. believe this is the first time we've seen the over-the-knee boot. And an over-the-knee boot has a, has a certain, like, sexual connotation, I feel like, in our fashion parlance of these times. But how necessary really is that for – I mean, are they actually – I don't think they're knee pads. They're not like I'm – like Snake was rollerblading or something before he got caught, but there yeah. isn't over the knee boot happening, right? Yeah, it is. I don't, I'm. It's it's weird. They're like they're <laughs> kind of like flap like almost or something. Yeah. From what I can gather, I I really like fashion. By the way, love clothes. Super cute. Anyway, I thought his outfit was totes cute, and <laughs> I think it's a slightly high mid calf combat boot with like he's got like this. It's almost like skateboarding type knee pads or soccer knee pads that have been spray painted black a little bit, maybe with like a little green to give that military edge type look. But I don't, I feel like that's more commonplace nowadays, right? Molly, like the boot over the pant, like it's just, you can show off the boots, right? Because yes. What's the point of hiding these cute boots that you spent all this money on, you know, if you're not going to show them off. And I think that snake is just being fashion forward or practical. Actually, now they think about it from a practicality standpoint, if the pants were untucked, we're getting to some serious stuff, listeners, by the way. This is serious. <laughs> no, if we're not tucked into the boot. It could get snagged on stuff, right? Like the cuff, the bottom cuff could get snagged on like broken glass when he's trying to go through the, the windows because he goes through a lot of windows in this movie. So I think it's, it, is, it is fashion forward, but it's also practical, I think. Yeah, but I, I think of you know, fatigues. And typically there's a a slight poof above a mid-calf boot. And so I find this to be a little bit, and and it's the future. So maybe in the future, if you're from a military background, you're a Green Beret, you go to kick ass, you get an over-the-knee boot for Mm -hmm. whatever practicality's sake. But yeah, it's a little bit, uh, it's a little interesting. But I think in in normal, normal Z fashion-y, yeah, if you're you're wearing some, some tighter pants, and I mean, I was like way into fatigues as a kid. Like I thought it was just yeah. like the shit, like in the nineties, like in a grungy sort of way, but it's not, they're not tight pants. They're not, you know, like stretchy pants. They're not stretchy yoga pants. I mean, I'm not going to complain about his tight pants. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know that anyone's going to necessarily, I although mean, we did have a, a funny comment about Zubas. Do you remember Zubas at all from like the nineties? Uh, no. can you just can you describe because maybe i'm terrible with names like maybe the like what was it (laughs) they were these and we figured out later they're just like siberian fatigues but they were these almost like pajama-y poofy like dude pants with like flashy zebra prints so they were like hot pink but they were like a zebra print or like a really and they were not jinkos they were not like Jinkos. They were something completely different. I don't know what that is. Holy moly, Jinkos. Oh my gosh. If y'all don't know what that is, just Google it. It is like fantastic in a totally awful way. And they came back into fashion for a hot minute, like three years ago. And I was terrified. It was absolutely like mortifying. I love all the 90s stuff that's coming back into fashion, or maybe that's passe too now, and we're getting into the screamo emo early 2000s, which is terrifying. Mm. But Jinko jeans, look those up. I think it starts with a J. I think it's J N 
CO, kind of like jean company. I guess that's what they were trying to do. But it's what it was was like these really wide leg pants, like extreme wide leg pants. And people would just like wear them with like one of those white belts with like a really tight shirt and then have like air walks or something. Oh. Or pants. Okay. So I have Googled Jinko jeans and these things are ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. Yes, they are. Anyway, I love this talk about fashion. Like, uh, I didn't... Yeah, the gold one. <laughs> uh... <laughs> hey, did you know that uh, the, the airstrip here that they're filming this scene on is at Indian Dunes near Valencia, California? But you didn't I know. did not, Eric. No. Yeah, that's right. What an interesting tidbit of information. Yes, yes. And yeah, here's the Gulf Fire. We've been talking about it, and we finally get to it. And uh, this is not, to the best of my research, is not an actual real plane. This is just something in the movie. In the movie universe, it's basically a, a stealth glider that the U.S. police force uses for covert insertion and intelligence gathering. It's specifically made to be able to land in very confined areas, which, as we'll see in a couple of minutes, it indeed does. Yeah, it looks stealthy. You know, not yeah. practical, just just stealthy. It looks like one of those planes, like you see that lonely guy out in the middle of a field somewhere. You're driving by because you're going to the dog park nearby. And you're seeing this really sad guy just like in the field, like throwing one of those like toy g- glider planes or something. Like that's just how mm. I feel about this plane right now. Yep. It just yeah. kind of makes me sad. But what makes me happy is we get that awesome close up of Snake and his scruff. With that scar and the eye patch and everything, and I was, and it was like greenish red lighting from all the beep boop buttons or whatever. It was really <laughs> awesome. I yeah, don't know. this is that classic uh, imagery from the movie. I feel like these three minutes are when we think of the aesthetics of this movie. It's these three minutes. Like this is the the kind of groundbreaking. Uh, cyberpunkish stuff this is like the, the the super hot lighting that we got going on but yeah the the interior of the gulf fire is like hot 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 for sure yeah and also the i don't know getting a little nerdy here so i'm switching from like fashion airhead stuff to like nerdy stuff just the lighting and the control panels and everything kind of reminded me of like the ridley scott alien mm. um, yes I yes. always bring up alien ridley scott i know this people but that movie is fantastic I will die arguing that it's probably one of the best movies ever made. So I just love that early eighties, like 1979 to 1982 aesthetic in science fiction movies. It's just raw, edgy, just uh, like Blade Runner, like, you know, stuff like that. I just, I love the visuals and imagery on that. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a really believable future. You know, I've always believed like, versus more of like a minority report sort of future where everything is very like super clean and white and and neon-y or you know the new wave tron i've always bought more into this type of aesthetic even though this is in the past for us now but uh you know blade runner a really Mm -hmm. gritty dirty cyberpunk future always seemed a lot more plausible to me I completely agree. You know, that that brings something up interesting. And uh, John Carpenter called this movie sci-fi. And it's set in the future. And there's a couple of science fiction aspects of it, this plane being one of them. But it's not 
very heavy on the future technology. It, it, the, the focus on the futureness of the movie is more about the how society has collapsed. Right. Is this is this movie? I mean, I know it fits in the sci-fi genre. It's usually what it's put in, but is this this? It's not a hard sci-fi. Is this movie really like full sci-fi? I I mean, I'm not a science fiction s expert, but I feel like in sci-fi or science fiction, post-apocalyptic genres fit into that. And I feel like this is similar to, I'm not saying it's exactly the same, but when I was watching this movie, it made, it reminded me of newer ish movies today, like the purge or Hmm. even the plot point from, Oh my gosh, the dark Knight series when they're all trapped on Gotham Island. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. That's what I, those are the two things that I immediately thought of. I was like, Oh, okay. All right. Right on. Yeah. Kind of like post-apocalyptic, um, it's just a commentary on society at the time, right? Because that was before New York got cleaned up by, I believe, what, what was his name? Uh, Mayor Giovanni? or uh, <laughs> Giuliani. Giuliani, thank you. Um, I've had one drink, folks, okay? I'm, <laughs> I'm winning at life just right now. So I'm even remembering anything. Yeah, no, but I, I, I am not a science fiction expert, but I could see someone saying that it's not technically sci-fi. Maybe that's something that our listeners can comment on. Yeah, I've never seen this as a sci-fi movie. Yeah. And and I don't know if that's because of, you know, my age and, and, and kind of getting the context behind, you know, what this is. I think that the imagery has always really reminded me of The Lawnmower Man, which was another movie that you should not see as a nine-year-old. <laughs> no, I... I, I I see where you're going with this, Molly. Yeah. You know, so I I feel like there's a similar type of like future computer analog aesthetic. And, but I've never seen it as a sci-fi movie. You know, this isn't, um, this isn't Star Trek to me. And that's to Mm -hmm. me more of, of a landmark sci-fi flick. I consider this to be far more cyberpunk. Yeah, Which I know people can probably take me to the mat on, but I—that's where I've always seen this. I would put this more into the realm of like Mad Max. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, albeit like Mad Max is like way into a fictional f- post-apocalyptic future. Like this is kind of like seems like at the very beginnings of the fall of society. But I would put it in the same realm as Mad Max. That's a good point because honestly, if you if someone were to say Escape from New York is the Mad Max world two hundred years before the Mad Max world, I would totally buy it. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that was another movie I was thinking of. I was like, oh, it's kind of like Mad Max, but like, you know, being the anthropologist in me, I was just like, oh, but this is like before, like two hundred years before Mad Max. Like, snort, adjust. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would. I don't know. I think Molly brings up some good points. So I don't think this could would be considered sci-fi. But you said John Carpenter said that, right? Yeah, he considers it sci-fi. Well, maybe back then sci-fi wasn't as well defined as it is now. I don't know, y'all. Hmm. Uh, yeah, let, let, let's people chime in. Let, let let us know what you think in our Facebook group. Getting back to the Gulf Fire. So Gulf Fire. It's a, a word but invented for this movie. If you kind of twist the word, the, the word around a bit, it's sort of like a fire bird. That, of course, <laughs> made me think of the awesome logo on the classic Pontiac Firebird with the hood logo from when I was a kid that I thought was just so awesome. Is. <laughs> <laughs> golf, eagle, fire. Yeah. 
I don't know. I, I was thinking about gall fire in my, in my head today during work. And I just, that awesome, like eighties game. I know Dave palace out there is going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, that crossfire board game. And so all day I was just like singing gall fire, gall fire, you know, all day. So if they did a commercial for people wanting to buy Gulf Fire planes in this fictional universe, like in RoboCop, you know how they had commercials in the RoboCop movies? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, they could totally do that for Gulf Fire. Mm, well, I yeah. personally, you'd have a hard sell on me because all I'm, I had one word when I'm thinking a snake sitting there before he closes the lid, and that word is claustrophobia. Super tiny plane. I have that in my notes. Super tiny, claustrophobic. Yes. I mean, this makes a Buddy Holly plane look like a jet, you know, a jet airliner. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, there's not really room for a friend in there, is there? No, no. I think I think the escape pod had more space than this thing does. No. Yeah, I I agree. I do like how he chucks a cigarette before he hops in. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) He's not going to hot box in the Gulf fire on his way back to Manhattan. No room at all for that. (laughs) Uh, That's a different movie. He's going to spark up a blunt, you know, like in the Gulf fire. (laughs) Oh, we're having fun. (laughs) There's a couple of uh, very minor differences in the script of how the Gulf fire is revealed versus how they ended up filming it in the shooting script it actually is supposed to have a couple of cops rolling it out of a hangar as opposed to already sitting out there on the runway for snake to get into and in the draft script the door is on the side as opposed to the top opening uh that we have it here and that i have to assume changes made probably just when they went about to building the thing they probably realized it was just easier for an actor to get in if they pop it on the top as opposed to a side door Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, the more of the gold door type of a deal. Right. So the Gulf Fire, incidentally, has inspired music over the years. <gasps> you go on Amazon, there are a bunch of songs that ref- that that refer to the Gulf Fire, and I'll read them. I'll read the list to you now, if if you would be uh, if you're interested. Oh, I'm totally interested. There are three songs that are just flat out called Gulf Fire <laughs> by the groups. Mogi Grumbles, yeah, Weaker Ray, and Space Dimension Controller. Oh, of course, that's yeah. a band name for st- <laughs> then nerds. Nerds. Flight of the Gulf Fire by Bionic Resistance, and in a very specific <laughs> uh, note relating to this movie, Gulf Fire Over Leningrad by Polyester Electric. Hmm, that's kind of sexy. Yeah. <laughs> and if this were Flash Gordon Minute, I would have just given Brad about an hour of editing for having to put all five of those songs at the end of this episode. <laughs> I thought that's why you're saying that, so Brad would have to. Yeah. I, I'm giving I'm giving our voiceless producer a pass. Brad, you do not need to put any of those songs on at the end of this episode. So speaking of this particular minute and a very long walk to the Gulf Fire, I went and looked up, what were the longest airport runways in the world? Ah. The first one is the Combo Bomda Airport in China, and it is a 18,145 foot length 
runway. However, I will say in the, the entire list, JFK does make it. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah. So speaking of New York, um, JFK is on here and it's 14,511. So what's uh, the placing on the list? Uh, it's probably a good uh, 40 down. Oh, well, way. it made the list. Yay! It made the list. But, you know, to be fair, um, you know, like Vandenberg Air Force Base makes it ahead of them. Edwards has got hugely long runways. Um, Denver, actually, in terms of the U.S., is is the longest. I was actually going to say I... I go to Denver quite a bit, so um, or through Denver. So I, I was actually going to ask you if it was going to be on the list. Yeah, yeah. But JFK doesn't make does make it, so it deserves a hats off here as we are talking about New York. So well, I actually I I timed his walk, Molly, from the Jeep to the Gulf Fire as you're going through the list. It takes him a full twenty seconds of movie time. <laughs> you're just watching Kurt Russell walk down the runway. I mean, with those boots tucked in, you know, the pants are tucked in and like, it's fine. I'm totally fine with it. He's going <laughs> to stuff to the phone and then flick his cigarette in true like rogue action hero, you know? Yeah. That's a lot of time for a movie, isn't it? It is. It feels long. Seconds? Yeah. I just feel oh. like it's a lot of time for him to get in the plane and to just have the plane go off. And did he have a lead plane in front of him? Was there, I felt like there was like a lead plane or something in front there of There is. Yeah. That's, that's how I, they get up in the air. Cause I don't, there's no ah. engine. Oh, right. Okay. That makes sense. Just rolling and hating. So yeah, that's the, they have, they have to have like a little special plane to, to get them up in the air and then they just sort of glide. So I did a little bit of research about military gliders. Cause I, um, and I've mentioned this before, but I, I like the movie Tom's Crown Affair. There's a sweet little glider scene in it and, and, and I'm afraid of heights. So I would never get in this thing. Um, but uh, military gliders are kind of, they were kind of meant for like one way missions and the U.S. being a little wasteful kind of viewed them that way. But, like, <laughs> other countries would actually try and, like, retrieve the thing. But the U.S. was kind of like, eh, you know, they're pretty disposable. They're pretty light. You know, you made it in there okay. It's cool. We're just going to leave it. So but there are larger gliders out there um, that were developed to land, like, heavy equipment, like anti-tank guns, anti-aircraft guns, small vehicles, like Jeeps, light tanks, which is kind of crazy considering. But, um the Soviets were experimenting with ways of delivering light tanks by air. So uh, one of them was called the Antonov A-40, which is a gliding tank with detachable wings. So if you can imagine that, like a crazy-ass, winged, silent tank from above. So that's a thing. Um, if you guys are ever in Lubbock, Texas, Lubbock, Texas has a museum dedicated to glider pilots from World War II. It's called the Silent Wings Museum. Wow. Um, yeah. So that's there's... Yeah, there's a there's a thing. And, and you know, uh, I don't know how much information as regular folk you really get. But according to the interwebs, they don't really use gliders anymore. It was kind of like a it was a hot thing in like World War Two. But uh, the U.S. really hasn't used glider operations since 1953. So believe what you will. So did I give out false information before when I said this? Gulf Fire was specific to the movie, or was that correct? Like, this specific type of glider indeed is fictional and was just in this movie. No, it could be a real glider, but I don't know that military gliders, per se, are really being used anymore. Although they, they exist, you know, um, presuming that the U.S. 
still has them or retrieve them at some point, which they weren't really, you know, want to do. Other countries use them like, you know, Britain and whatnot. And they would, I think, be a little bit more uh, about uh, getting their, their equipment back and not being as, as quote unquote wasteful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm making a value judgment, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I didn't get to see much about, cause I was looking up and be like, Oh, is this glider something that somebody had just had? And just, you know, they had, cause you know, sometimes people have uh, cars that, get lent out because they're extras and they just end up using them or somebody's like a private collector and they'll end up, you know, being like, Hey, can we get this thing for this movie? So I didn't see anything that this was a a private collection glider. Um, but did you, you did some specific research about this was being particularly built for this movie? No, it was just that, you know, when you Google Gullfire, the only stuff that comes up on Google is stuff about this movie. Like there's literally, there was literally nothing else at all about, you know, Gulf fires, real Gulf fires used in the real world. So yeah, I had the same, I had the same difficulty. I couldn't find anything. It it was, there wasn't like a specific Gulf fire glider that I found either. Right. That was used. So yeah. My last comment was really Dat Scruff Doe on his, uh, (laughs) that's it. I like scruffy guys. So <laughs> that, that was my last note. That was like, <laughs> no, I purposely misspelled everything. So, well, I, is that really scruff? I mean, that's a beard. I mean, there's a different. Yeah, no, that, that is like probably seven o'clock shadow for that. Yeah, dude. Uh, well, yeah. All right. I guess. Yeah. Okay. That's not a beard. That's scruff. He's scruffy. All right. Yeah. All right. I take that back. You're right. Yeah. It's a heavy I- scruff. Yeah. yeah, heavy scruff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Maul. Yes, I would agree. I concur. It was a heavy scruff. The, the beginnings of a beard. I will. Yeah. Also, yes, I will go with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Starter beard. It's in the scruff <laughs> genre. It's not in the beard genre yet. So, Kathleen, thank you for joining us for minute twenty-five. Where can people find you out in the world in the interwebs? Oh, geez. Okay. Well. I'm doing Hocus Pocus Minute with my fabulous husband, Kyle Crane, Pele Media. I'll be hosting. So I'll be, you know, this hosting and everything. And um, you can find me on Facebook. I work for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. I'm not on Instagram. I'm trying not to do all the social media stuff as much, but I don't know. So Hocus Pocus Minute, I'm really getting into making one of these minutes for the first time. So I'm really excited. And I've worked with Brad and Eric. They've really opened up a whole new world of uh, opportunity. So very excited about that. Cool. Yay! cool, Well, that'll be good. It'll be good to hear more of you out there. So yeah, awesome. Sure. Awesome. In terms of our pod, you can follow us at Twitter at NY minute pod. Also the Facebook group brains library, the escape from New York minute hangout. And as we close, I want to give a shout out to our silent producer, Brad Mendenhall who asserts his musky superiority all over things editorial for this podcast. (laughs) And he all makes us sound really, really good. And so we super appreciate it. And a special thanks to him. And on that note, be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we will meet you on the other side of the wall. 